degree of tilt. So while 15 degree of tilt was the dogma, most of us, most nieces probably never ever achieved it and it probably is of suggestion is that it's not all that much value in actually relieving it. And the, the more modern studies have been done have done been done with MRI and stuff. So yep. then they've been able to have a look at the effects of different degrees of tilt. Hi everyone, welcome back. Um, this week we have uh, Professor Mike Pake back again to um, talk to us on an interesting subject, which um, uh, I think you were going to give this uh, talk at a conference somewhere um, this year, weren't you, Mike? Uh, yeah, so there was another World Congress of Anesthesiology scheduled for 2020. Uh, they come around every four years. And uh, this one was going to be in Prague. And... Um, I think because I once wrote an editorial on this one of the journals, I got asked to give a talk on yep. at a cable compression. Oh, you, sp- <laughs> you spilled the beans, although probably this podcast will have a title saying what, the, what it is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all right. It's not a secret. Um, so, um, yeah, so I thought, uh, so the other thing is that Mike gave this talk to our department a few weeks ago, so I sort of, um, I'm trying to remember um, <clears throat> Uh, what, what you talked about, but one of the things I, uh, that I really enjoyed was the, the history behind it and um, how how it sort of evolved over the years, and then um, and then we're sort of where we're at today. But um, so I was just going to start off with um, perhaps um, some listeners might not know what um, the syndrome is, so maybe if you could clarify for us, Mike, what is it? Um, <coughs> well, uh, some alternative terms. So. Um, Autocable compression was a term that was coined in the 1950s to describe a phenomenon which was also called supine hypotensive syndrome. Yep. Uh, to describe when, um, particularly pregnant women with a um, large abdominal mass, as in so you know beyond 20 weeks, but certainly in the third trimester in that term, uh, when they lay supine. Um, they it was recognised that there sometimes were significant hemodynamic disturbances, um, particularly yep. associated with anaesthesia. So that's that's where it came about. That was recognised in the 1940s and then someone called it aortocable compression syndrome uh, in the 1950s. Right. Um, and <clears throat> why did they say aortocable? Was there some sort of imaging study where they thought the aorta and the vena cava were compressed? Because I know you're going to talk about that. Yeah, sure. So, the, I mean, yeah, the initial uh, studies were obviously IV contrast studies and um, some angiography studies that were done, um, which showed that um, most term pregnant women lying on their backs had very significant degrees of uh, inferior vena cava compression and possibly some um, aortic compression, although that was mainly deduced from um, some femoral artery angiography studies that suggested blood flow was reduced when they lay supine compared yeah. on their sides. So, um, and we know as well that there is, I mean, clearly there is compression the, of the vena cava uh, and as compensation for that, um, as pregnancy goes on, women um, tend to divert their blood through the through the paravertebral system, the azagous venous system, yep. um, to maintain their venous return even when they are lying on their backs. Um, all right. Um, did you want to talk about the f- the physiology of what happens when um, 
Uh, uh, when, when someone lies flat and why that makes them hypotensive. Yeah, I mean, I guess... Should we, should we explain that just in case? Sure. Most of us sort of get it drilled into us when we're doing exams and things and we're training in anesthesia, but not everyone might be completely au fait with it. Yeah. So, I mean, this most of the studies show that potentially there's going to be a um, modest fall in cardiac output and a modest fall in blood pressure um, in some women, uh, or in quite a few of them, um, <coughs> as a result of... of that cable compression and um, when you add, particularly when you add anaesthesia to it, of course, um, where compensation is reduced and there, there are other similar or other effects going on hemodynamically, then that becomes um, more common. So you know, supposedly in pregnant women, uh, <coughs> term lying on their backs is about 10% will reduce their drop their blood pressure to some extent. Yep. Um, and with anaesthesia, that's said to be around 40% will do that. And uh, in a small proportion of those, um, they get a severe uh, fall in pressure and cardiac output. And um, there's even um, just obviously descriptions of cardiac arrests as well, usually with other complicating factors going on as well. So those physiological effects, obviously, are significant for some mothers and then the other consideration is the fetus, of course. So, yeah. if, um, you know, all those things will potentially reduce uteroperacental blood flow and, and um, potentially have cause an acute um, acidosis in the fetus as well. Um, so this might be like going a little bit of a tangent, but I'm so when uh, uh, so, so spinal anaesthesia, is, especially as the one that sort of blunts the normal response to the hypotensive um, uh, event when you decrease your venous return. Mm. Um, because um, yeah, it's just sort of. So I guess you know, usually your blood pressure drops, and your and your brain uh, senses that and causes you know vasoconstriction. But um, when we do the spinal, we obviously we we numb all the sympathetic nerves and we can't vasoconstrict. Uh, is that so? I'm just um, trying to remember the history of anaesthesia for cesareans. So is that why traditionally spinal anaesthesia was thought to be very unsafe? Because uh, I'm if I remember rightly, um, you know, it's only sort of in more modern times that people um, were happy that spinal anesthesia was okay. Is that right? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, this phenomenon was described during the era when it was all general anesthesia, basically, yeah. um, for caesarean sections and, and other obstetric cases. Um, and then epidurals were probably, I mean, spinals weren't really used much. And then epidurals came in in the 1970s sort of and 80s and were widely used for caesarean sections. And it's certainly, it was continue to be described with epidurals as well even though you have a bit more time to compensate I guess but it still yeah. happens um, and then spinals made a big comeback in the 1990s in obstetrics and um, and I guess yeah and even more uh, likely I guess to, to see problems with with the spinal because of the <coughs> short time to and the limited compensation that you can get so yeah it was, it's uh, it's been around for a long time and it's Said to, you know, occurs with all types of anaesthesia, but obviously regional block would be um, the one that we're particularly concerned about it with. Yep. Um, okay, should we go over the potential effects? You talked about the maternal blood pressure in the fetus. Um, um, yeah, so, <coughs> well, for the majority of women, there's, uh, for the, the woman, there's not much effect at all, and in fact, um, it's not clear really as well whether there's any significant effect really on, on fetal outcomes either. Um, but in, the, in a small number who get a major um, cardiovascular event, 
um, then it can be severe. I mean, uh, I mean, strangely enough, I've seen two cases where it was incredibly severe. So one was in an obstetric case, and this woman, when she came in to have her block for a caesarean section, said to me, don't let me, don't put me on my back, whatever you do, because when I lie on my back, <laughs> she was at term, uh, when I lie on my back, I, f I collapse, I faint, I, um, I feel sick and I faint. Yep. So, of course, I did the block and <coughs> um, I put her into a significant amount of tilt and she collapsed. <laughs> 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 and no matter how much vasopressor or fluid or anything else I gave her, she, she virtually became unconscious. I wonder if um, she had no veins in her perispinal uh, uh, space or something. I don't know, but she, she knew that she couldn't lie on her back, so she was a, a pretty good extreme example of this phenomenon. Um, and yeah, and uh, until I called for the obstetricians to come and start as soon as possible, because yeah, it was impossible to to uh, restore so the situation. So did you, did you do the full WHO team timeout? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Prior to team timeouts. So you just had a cut and slash, it was a bit like a code blue. So uh, it well, well, it was, yeah. I just yeah. told them to really hurry up and scrub, get on with it, you know. Um, <laughs> was she uh, conscious or? Uh, well, no, she was virtually unconscious. Until, I mean, I, the, I tipped her, I put her completely on her side <clears> um, as well, and then she sort of, you know, regained some, <laughs> regained consciousness partially. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that was that was quite frightening. And the other one was actually a non-obstetric case. I think. I mean, I could be wrong because this is in the era before we had, um, yep. you know, good quality monitoring and, and follow-up. But I had a woman who had a huge one of those huge benign uh, ovarian tumors. Like yeah. it, it was about twice the size of a rugby ball. Yeah. Um, so uh, similar to a pregnant woman. Yeah. I mean, it sounds yeah. massive. Yeah. yeah. It was like a, a big yep. twin or multiple pregnancy type thing. Yeah. Um, and uh, she was an oncology case, and I remember I induced her for a, with a general. This is a general anaesthetic. I don't think we'd done an epidural as well or anything. Um, and she had a cardiac arrest. And so, you know, in the post after that, we she had a cardiological review. She there were no um, she didn't have echo back then that day. Um, that sort of stuff. They couldn't find anything wrong with her. Um, Eventually, we just brought her back two weeks later. Yep. Did her again with some uh, some major tilt and pushing of the uterus to the side and in, during okay. induction, and nothing happened basically, and she was fine. So <laughs> I, I don't know whether yeah. it really was that or not, but you know that's what happened. Yeah, it sounds like I've had a couple of cases. Um, this is not um, completely re related, but we're we're. Uh, I've done the spinal, and then as we're lying them down, either the drip is tissued or the um, or someone pulls it, pulls the drip out. Mm -hmm. So there's so there's no way of giving fluid or vasopressors mm -hmm. in a in a term pregnant woman, and that's invariably they all get really hypotensive. <laughs> so I imagine that like you know, if you've got a, like a term woman, has anyone ever done that study where you do a spinal on someone and don't give them fluid or vasopressors or because <laughs> presumably we we very rarely see severe events now because we all run in. Um, vasopressors. Yeah. So, yeah, so take over the I sympathetic nervous system. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, well, in the days people used to give intermittent ephedrine, didn't they? Yeah, so ephedrine yeah. used to be used, and you know, certainly as a treatment, initially it was just used as a treatment, not a prophylaxis. But I mean, that's, that's been around since uh, the 1960s. So, yeah. yeah, so when you did it, because I, I do remember uh, vaguely doing some um, caesareans like that when I worked in uh, Rockhampton and Queensland, but when you... When you were doing that as the technique, you know, you do a spinal, lie them down, and then just give them ephedrine if their blood pressure drop. Mm -hmm. Would there be any cases where you didn't need to give them any ephedrine? 
Or was, uh, that, or was that pretty rare? Very occasionally, yeah. Most yeah. of them needed something, and a yeah. lot, and a lot of them needed, yeah. A lot of them certainly did. Yeah. Virtually, uh, yeah, vomiting, yep. fainting. Yeah. I guess the only ones I, I can think of is the severe preeclamptics who have a blood pressure of 190. Um, yeah. Often tend to be Don't give them anything. Yeah. 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 They tend to be more mm. stable. All right. So, so that's the history. So now, um, so I think the title of your talk was. Um, uh, dogma and and mm. so what are the what, so, what are the controversies around it and what's the, where are we at? Yeah, so obviously during the the nineteen seventies, people tried to address this to try and prevent it happening. So it was all about prevention and um, uh, some of the you know, famous obstetric anaesthetists in the UK, Sylvan Crawford and others, advocated tilting the the pelvis to try and prevent it happening. Yep. And they recommended 15 degrees leftward pelvic tilt. Um, and so that became the dogma that you should do that. And obviously there were different ways of doing it. And interestingly enough, when you think about it now, no one's really ever done a, a study to see if any of the different approaches to trying to get pelvic tilt are better than any other. But, you know, you can use a pelvic wedge. That was the initial thing. Yeah. You can use, you tilt the table. Um, you can and now obviously um, manual displacement is is also part of the resuscitation guidelines for most countries and so on. Yeah. So that, which is which is probably the most effective way of you know is actually manually pulling the uterus to the side. Yeah, I've found that that yeah. works pretty well. If, if so nothing else, just just walk around and yeah, yeah pull, pull their tummy off to the side. But I'm not even aware of any observational studies comparing the different ways. But anyway, prevention became the 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 dogma and the the way we all dealt with it and the way we still tell people and train everyone to do yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. And get in big trouble if we don't have the pelvic tilt on. <laughs> um, uh, so that was, and there were a number of studies done to see how effective that was. Um, and um, most of them showed that, well, subsequent to that, and these are done probably quite a bit later, sort of in the 90s, 2000s, up to 15 degrees pelvic tilt was really, most of them su suggested it doesn't have much benefit at all, that it doesn't actually improve blood pressure or change blood pressures, it doesn't improve fetal blood flow. So there are studies suggesting it's not much use um, and, and then they've gone on to show that you probably need to get to 30 degrees of tilt to actually relieve the, the vena cable compression. Yeah which is huge and that creates a big issue because one we know that most of us don't put women into 15 let alone 30 degrees tilt because for two reasons one is 15 degrees tilt is actually a lot much yeah. more than you would think yep and so when you measure it most anesthetists have been shown to put women into sort of five to maximum ten. Um, What's the, how, how tilted is the Leaning Tower of Pisa? The Leaning Tower of Pisa <laughs> is a nice example. When you look at it, you think that's a fair bit of tilt, and that's about five percent or something. Okay. Good, if you're really looking Google, yeah. something like that. Yep. So, yeah. And the other thing is most women don't like it either. They don't. They yeah. don't tolerate. They, they're scared that they're going to fall off the bed at 15 degrees. They so probably would. Way before. <laughs> yeah, these Unless days, you strap them in. These days with, yeah. a, with a bit of extra uh, gravity. And yeah, that's right. So, um, and and finally, of course, the surgeons don't like it either because it puts them in the, in a position where it's difficult for them to do their surgery if you have them in a major degree of tilt. So while 15 degrees of tilt was the dogma, most of us, most of these probably never, ever achieved it and it probably is of suggestion is that it's not all that much value in actually relieving it 
and the, the more modern studies have been done have done been done with MRI and stuff. So yep. then they've been able to have a look at the effects of different degrees of tilt and and the cross sectional areas of the IBC and the aorta and stuff. And they they really show it's not that useful either as, as well in the imaging studies as well as the hemodynamic studies. Um, and the aortic part, most of the imaging studies have shown no change in the aorta at all. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So, so it's even so, got the wrong name, isn't it? Yeah. So it should be cable compression yeah, syndrome. So exactly. So we're not really sure how much the aortic component exists at all. Mm. Yeah. Supine hypotensive syndrome was probably a better name, wasn't it? Yeah. But it, it didn't it have a good was. marketing team behind it. <laughs> <laughs> Could be. <laughs> it, lost, it was like the Pepsi Cola of the of the it lost out to Coke. Yeah. <laughs> And, um, of, and of course, one of the other things is the, these imaging studies also suggested, and some of these are quite recent, um, there's a couple of Japanese groups being involved doing them, and um, quite a lot of the women actually appear have less uh, IBC compression when they're in the right tilted pelvic tilt position yeah. compared to the left. So up to 25% or 30%. That's very hard to predict, isn't it? Um, uh, well, again, Because yeah, we can't see what's going on inside them and, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I guess uh, this all came to a head, just to put it more, in, again, in the historical perspective, um, because um, an American group in 2017 published a paper in Anesthesia and Analgesia yep. in which they they basically did just that. They looked at a, a um, I can't remember if they did get them into 15 degree tilt or not, versus supine. Uh, they were all getting modern management with phenylephrine infusions as yep. well with spinals um, and they found uh, no difference between the two groups supine or tilted in terms of maternal symptoms or fetal acid base status when they right. delivered. Right, okay. Yeah. <coughs> and so um, I think I remember hearing um, that w- that was discussed on a podcast I listened to and, and uh, they were saying in their hospital anyway that most of the place uh, most of the anaesthetists no longer sorry anesthesiologists no longer use tilt and the surgeons are very happy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so where are we at? So where now? are we at? Well, that's a good question. I'm not sure where we're so at, what, really. What do, so some people have... What do you uh, think we should do? Some people are still trying to get their 15 degrees and not getting anywhere <coughs> near it. Some people are um, are not doing it at all, apparently, for particular, for elective cases and so on, um, I believe. So I think that it is a real phenomenon in sa- a small percentage of women and that... Therefore, we can maybe take some attempts to prevent it, and I would say early on particularly. So when we do a spinal block or an epidural block, I personally still think it's worth trying to put them in some tilt, as long as you obviously get a bilateral block still. Yep. Check on that. So is this before they're on the operating table? Yeah. yeah. So, so this is a, a lot of places do these blocks on the table. Yeah, well. that's right. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, this is in the immediate <coughs> phase, post post your, your, your actual block spinal. Um, put them in some tilt as much as they'll tolerate and you're comfortable with and so on um, and keep an eye on things basically. And um, when it comes to the time of the surgery, if all's been well then um you can flatten them out to yeah. whatever so if everyone if they're very stable extent. and there's going to be no problems then flatten them out sure but if you recognize that it it's this is that that's the problem and you know we think it's perhaps more likely in women with larger abdominal masses you know multiple pregnancies yeah, twins, hydramnios, yep. 
those sort of things, um, where maybe it's likely to present itself, but you know, you can't really predict. Um, then you do need to take some action, um, I think, and that means ideally getting a, some manual displacement of the uterus. Yep. Um, I would always start left first, and if that doesn't seem to be working, maybe you go to the right side. Um, uh, and, and get on and get the baby out, because we know from all the you know, maternal cardiac arrest work that uh, that can have a significant effect on maternal um, hemodynamics and in the arrest setting, uh, even on maybe on maternal recovery and turn of spontaneous circulation. So it makes sense as well to obviously relieve the, uh, get rid of the mass and yeah. get yep. the baby out. Yeah, I think it's very sensible. And um, I must admit, so like I was just, we were just talking before we started recording that, um, you know, sometimes I either forget or consciously decide not to put any tilt on because the patient's so stable. And uh, it's been such a dogma for so many years that, yes. <laughs> that I have midwives, I have medical students, orderlies, they all come up to me and tell me, why haven't you got the patient in tilt? <laughs> and, uh, and then I'm like, when I first started doing this, I, I, uh, I try to like abbreviate your talk, you know, into five, into like a two minute spiel. And then I got really sick of doing this. So I just put like three degrees tilt on and then I go away. <laughs> so yeah, it really has been such a dogma that, it, that if you try to have someone flat, everyone, everyone around you gets upset with you. Uh, well, that's true. I mean, you know, yeah. unfortunately, um, like all things in medicine, sometimes having too much knowledge is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> it just gets you in trouble. Yeah. But I think a little bit of tilt, um, doesn't uh, the patients don't get upset and they don't think they're going to slide off the table and then everyone else is happy that you're doing what, what you've been we've been all been trained to do sure um, there's an expression for what we may be achieving <laughs> which i'm not going to say on this podcast yeah. <laughs> you can i can bleep it, i can bleep it out if you want <laughs> yeah. it's like something in the wind but yeah. um yeah that's right but i i really, I, I think i agree with you is that there, there are some women who um even though you're running in um you know metaraminol or and giving a big fluid bolus that they just their blood pressure just tanks and mm. um yeah you're right you have actually physically going and pushing the the uterus to the side seems to help um but yeah sometimes it's just um and, and just the 15 degrees tilt even if you had 15 degrees tilt, i don't think that that really is going to help them no i mean I, you know i think if you can get someone into the full left lateral position obviously that that yeah. will help um and so, yeah, if that's a feasible option for wherever you are at the time, then I would do that. Yeah, as if you had something happen down a labor ward or, yeah. uh, or if you were doing the block on a bed or something. But exactly. once, you're, uh, once you're actually in theatre and about to do the surgery, you, you, they have to be semi-supine, don't they? They do, yeah. They don't. Surgeons <laughs> have some trouble doing it. In the <laughs> <Right>, yeah. <laughs> I was just thinking, you know, how you used to park the car over, over the pits and everyone sort of has to look up when they're doing the run. <laughs> I don't know where you could do that. Yeah. That would definitely work. That would relieve the you know, prone prone cesarean there. Would you write yeah. that? Well, that would be a case to report. Sure. Would that get into IJO? Problem. <laughs> I think it might. Or would it get into one of the obstetric journals anyway? Yeah. Um, which also right. reminds me of, you know, some people have published a publication of reports on doing prone <coughs> spinals, you know, and so, so the woman's in the prone position with her called prolapse right. and someone sort of sits on top of their back and, and does a spinal. <laughs> it's hard to see the CSF coming back, so you just have to yeah. feel the pop, I suppose. <laughs> feel the pop and try and aspirate. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Mike. A really great topic, and um, hopefully we'll, we'll, we might even get a few email comments. I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Mike. No worries. See you guys. Thanks for listening, everyone. 
please go to the iTunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it. Write a review. This will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.opsandguinecritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.